If you have a Bible, we're back in Ephesians 6. Amen. Just looking at the armor that we wear in our spiritual warfare with the devil. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that's where we're going to be at today, verse 15. Now let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. And Father, we just ask once again that you'll give me words to speak and that it'll be words of encouragement to all of us that we can share your gospel and we can be prepared to do that. I just ask that you'll just impress that on all of our hearts today. And we just thank you for being with us here as we're gathered before you. And we do that in Jesus' name. So I would just say, you know, to begin with, how many of you have ever wanted to share your faith with someone? So you're sitting there with a neighbor, a friend, even a relative, and they're telling you about their life and all the problems they have, and you're listening, and as you're listening, you're thinking, I know I have the answer to the problems you're dealing with. If only I had the courage to tell you about the Lord Jesus. You know, if only I knew where to begin and how to explain to you about the great salvation I've experienced. I mean, how many times has that ever happened? Have you ever had that experience? I think hopefully everyone in here that's born again has had something like that happen where you're riding on a bus. I can remember riding on a bus one time. I'm listening to all these people talk about all these problems, and you just want to stand up and say, I've got the answer. But, you know, they're just going to think you're a kook and aren't going to listen to a word you say. But sometimes that's just kind of how you, you feel about things. So, you know, anyone that's experienced being brought out of darkness and into that marvelous light, you want to share that. But yet we struggle with fears of not knowing what to say, not knowing how to say it, or how that person will respond. So I just had somebody tell me here recently, you know, they said, you know, I'm at work and I'm talking with people that I work with. I really want to share the gospel with them, but every time I start to open my mouth, they said, I just get so nervous, I, I just can't think of what to say. My mind goes blank. And I think a lot of us have been there, if we're honest about it. You know, one time, I remember reading this story years ago about this maid, and she worked for this very wealthy man, but he was a vile sinner. And she said, every time she was determined to speak to that man about his soul, and she knew she should, he was getting older, and there she is, a Christian. She said every time she determined to speak to him, she'd get a lump in her throat. And that's where it would stop. And the minister told her, he said, well, next time you need to just swallow the lump and start speaking. <laughs> you know, and that sounds kind of stern, doesn't it, that someone would say that? But really, you know, most of the fears we have in witnessing are in our heads. So the thing is, we're talking about today, this is the context of it's warfare. And so we get ready and want to be prepared to share the gospel, but the devil is going to be trying to put fears in our thoughts. You can't do that. You don't know what to say. How will this person react? And it puts the brakes on us a lot of times, and that's kind of the warfare we're in. So 
The message I have today, though, you know, I, you almost hate preaching witnessing because then it comes across condemning. Like, you know, if you haven't been witnessing, you're not right with God. You know, we don't want it to be that kind of a message. Right? I want it to be an encouragement that when the opportunity arises, we will be ready and we can defeat the sworn enemy of the gospel, Satan, by being prepared. Because what if today, coming out of here, our church <laughs> went forth with a zealous love for the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and a desire to share that word of life with those out there that we know. We talk about it, and you can get amens on it. Shouldn't we share the word of life with those that are dying? But we should, shouldn't we? And just a longing to see others brought to the same peace that we have experienced Amen. through the gospel, right? And because of that, all that longing, that desire, that we get a determination that we are going to study the word, think about what it is we want to say as far as presenting the gospel, and then look for opportunities to share. What if we were like that as a church? I think the Lord would bless that, don't you? I really do. So that's the purpose, though. We've said this before. Isn't that the purpose why we're here, gathered together to hear teaching? That's what Ephesians 4 says. Teaching is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not just to have one person doing it, but the saints here, you hear teaching, it equips you for ministry. And it could be just your own family. It could be a relative. It could be a neighbor. It could be whoever. Ministry is not, and witnessing is not, you got to go into prison. You got to go out on the streets and hand out tracts. It could be your own children. You still need to be prepared to share the gospel with them in a proper way. And help them out, right? So we come here, verse 15 says, We should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So it's the armor that covers our feet. It's, so what would that have looked like back in Paul's time? You know, what covered a soldier's feet back in that day? So Roman soldiers at that time, they wore what was you call an, a standard issue combat boot or sandal. So it was made of leather, it had straps, it was open at the top, it just wasn't a boot like we think of a boot that goes up over your ankle. So it had openings for ventilation, but it was leather. And it was layers of leather on the bottom for them to walk. And they had these metal studs that they had pushed through from the top down that stuck out. Kind of like football cleats, you could say. And that's what gave them their footing. Provided a firm grip for the soldiers. Kept them from falling and slipping during battle. And so with that sure footing, they could hold their position. And haven't we talked about holding your position? What's the one thing that Paul has repeatedly said in this section in Ephesians? What are we to do? Stand, right? Four times he tells us to stand. We're to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to have our feet and be planted against his schemes, his tricks, how he's coming after us, all his plots. And he also says we need to be able to withstand in the evil day. That withstand means to stand our ground. And that's why you've got to have these cleated shoes on, so to speak, so you can stand your ground. Because, listen, it says in these last days, when iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. So there's people that are standing, but they're going to start wilting. And he says, he that endures unto the end, as we know, shall be saved. 
those that endure to the end, those that stands. And he also says that after we've done everything, after we've prayed down the power of God in our lives, after we've put on that armor, after we've done all, taken our position, what's the last thing he says to do? Once again, he says, stand. Stand, therefore. And that short footing, and that's where your foundation's at when you stand, isn't it? Comes from what? What does it say here in our verse 15? From the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that is the standard boot that the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives us. We shod our feet. We fit our feet. However you want to say it. Put on the spiritual type of boot that he has given us. The preparation of the gospel of peace. It doesn't say our feet are shod with the gospel. Does it? It says our feet are shod with preparation. And that preparation means a readiness of the gospel. So you put that together, preparation and readiness, it gives us a picture of footwear that has firmness. It gives us firm footing or a firm foundation. So we need to have firmness, a preparation, a firm foundation in the gospel of peace. And that is the spiritual war warfare that is going to enable us to stand and wage warfare against the enemy. But if we don't understand the gospel, if we haven't prepared ourselves for war by understanding the gospel, we will slip or we'll be knocked down and become vulnerable because our feet, like I said, are the foundation. And that the foundation is weak. When the attack comes, we will fall. If our foundation isn't right, how are we going to help someone else make their foundation right, is what I would say. So if you would, you put something there in Ephesians 6 and turn to Hebrews 5. So we're talking about being prepared, and we should be prepared. And we've seen this verse and heard of it before, but I'd like us to just look at it in light of what we're saying. So Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12, we'll start in 11. Paul says, of whom we have many things to say, speaking of Jesus, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. He says in verse 12, for when the time you ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And I would say, so we're talking about the gospel of peace. I would ask you a question based on what we just read. He said, there comes a time that... You've been sitting in a church for so long, you should be a teacher yourself and not one that has to be continually taught again. So sitting there, I'm just saying, ask yourself, would you be able to instruct someone in the gospel? They come to you and say, hey, I want to be a Christian. Would you know where to begin, what to say? Or would you be at a loss for words? I'm, I'm, you need to talk to my pastor. I'm going to call him up. Because he's saying there, read it again, he says, there's a time you ought to be teachers. You know, and I took Hebrew, my Hebrew teacher. What he would do is he would go through the lesson, and he'd say, y'all, think about it, come back tomorrow. And then he would put us in groups, and he says, I want you all to teach each other. And he said, the reason I do that is, is because you don't really understand something until you can teach somebody else. And that was true. Because I'd go home, I'd be like, I'm going to make sure I know what I'm talking about so I don't look like an idiot tomorrow. Yeah. So that took a little bit of time and effort and homework. And that's what Paul's saying here. There's times we should all be able to teach. 
You all have somebody you're working with. You should be able to go through the gospel and confidently. And you need that for your own life, too. We'll see that after a bit. But look down. He goes on to say in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 1, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, he says, Let us go on to maturity or perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. That's the first thing he says. So what should make up our foundation? He says, I shouldn't have to lay this again. And if you go back to what he's already said, you should be able to teach somebody else this foundation. And what is that foundation? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's, the gospel includes that. Repentance. Do you know how to explain to somebody what it means to repent? Because Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will perish. The gospel is just not believe. Repentance from dead works and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of a Christian's foundation. So we should fully understand that. We should be settled on what it is. And I would say based on Hebrews 5, we should be able to instruct others. And if you can't, fine. Just make that your goal. I think we should make that our goal to be able to do that. So what is the gospel of peace? I mean, there's really actually a lot of ways you can explain it. You know, do we all know that gospel means good news? And sometimes the good news, you got to get the bad news out so they understand the good news, right? But the good news is that the Lord, who is the promised Messiah, has come down to earth to be a Savior. And how did he become a Savior? By living a sinless, perfect life and then dying for our sins, for our sins. He died in our place as our substitute. So we deserved punishment is what somebody you're talking to. They need to understand that they deserve punishment, that they've broken the law. They're lying. They're stealing. They're lust. They're anger. They're total disregard for God. Those are sins they'll be judged for, but it also evidences a sinful nature they have that they're in bondage to, that they need deliverance from. Those sins just manifest what's in that nature. There's no hope. You're lost. You're undone. There's nothing you can do to release yourself. You've committed sins and those crimes need to be paid for. And you're also locked with an evil heart that needs to be changed. And that's what happens. That's the bad news. But the good news is that the king, God himself, has come to this earth and became a man and took our place on the cross. Tell the person, that was you on that cross. That was me on that cross. God treated him like he was a lying, thieving, adulterous, blasphemer, even though he wasn't. He took our place and received the punishment that was due us. He suffered. He died. But then he didn't stay in that grave. He rose again. You have to include the resurrection in your presentation. He's a living God that we're presenting, right? Rose again. And tell them, listen, you hear that? Those that will repent. And you can't just leave it at repent because a lot of people, I used to do this. What do you think repent means? I'm saying almost every time because people aren't taught. They would say repent just means to ask God to forgive you. And I'll be like, that's half right at best because Proverbs 28, 13 says he who confesses his sin and it doesn't stop there. He who confesses his sin and forsakes it shall have mercy. I'm saying, what do you do when you forsake your wife? You're not coming back home anytime soon, right? You've left it. 
So you have to confess your sin and leave your sin if you want to have mercy. A person needs to understand that. That's what's involved in repentance. A change has to take place. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ put your entire life trusted to him. So those that do that, to partake of that good news and enjoy salvation, they know it's all of grace. Nothing you can do to earn it, right? Tell them if you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll be forgiven, you'll be cleansed, you'll be transformed, you'll be saved. Amen. That's the good news. That's the gospel, and you know what happens? So we're talking about preparation in the gospel of peace. You know what happens when a person hears that good news and they repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ into their life? You know what happens? They have peace. That's what the Bible says. So turn to Romans 5, if you would. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 it says this, so Paul in those first four chapters has just gone through the plan of salvation, justification by faith. And he says, when you receive that, Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, being justified by faith, what do we have? We have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here I'm talking to us now, the regenerate. Do, do you know, do you understand that before you came to the Lord Jesus Christ before you became a Christian, that not only were you God's enemy, but that he was your enemy. And a lot of people think, man, that sounds kind of hard to say that. <laughs> but that's what it is. He's not happy with sinners. He's not because, listen to this. Psalm 7 says this, that God will judge the righteous, but God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword, he has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. He has ordained his arrows against the persecutor. And on he says. But it says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And so all of us, before we became a Christian, you know what needed to happen? We didn't have peace with God. We were at war with God. He was our enemy and we were his enemies. And we needed to be reconciled to him. And that's what the gospel of peace is all about. Because when you have two people or two nations that are at war, they're not on friendly terms with each other, are they? The Hatfields and McCoys didn't like each other for years. I don't think they still do. I haven't kept up on my history on that. But friendly relations need to be restored, do they not? And that's what the gospel of peace will bring. So if you're in Romans 5, look down in verses 8 through 10. It says, but God commended his love toward us in that... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then look at verse 10. For if when we were what? Enemies. What does it say happened? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So that's where his love is. We're his enemy. We have to be changed. He doesn't need the change. But he's brought that reconciliation through giving us forgiveness and changing our nature, and he's brought us back into peace with him, peace with God, reconciliation. We were enemies, but now we're reconciled. And this sounds hard too, but sometimes backslidden Christians can be enemies of God. And you know where we have that at? James chapter 4, because 
really, he says some pretty strong things there at the beginning of James chapter 4 and verse 1. He calls the saints there, not all of them I wouldn't imagine, but the ones he wrote to, he said, you adulterers and adulteresses. That's Old Testament language saying you are committing adultery against the Lord. You're in love with the world, and you've left your love with the Lord. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not. Don't you know something? That friendship of the world is enmity with God. Hostility is what that word means. He goes on to say, whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And he's writing that to them. So, listen, if we love the world and turn our back on the Lord, we become his enemy in that sense, right? And when you lose your peace, and we're back to where you need reconciliation, that peace has got to be restored because what's happened? A person like that has become victims. We're talking again about spiritual warfare, become victims of the devil's attacks. And your feet will be slipping, you'll fall, your armor, your footwear, the preparation of the gospel of peace, it's lying somewhere in your house in the corner. You don't have it on. You, you've lost that, right? And you need to get your peace with God back. And so James gives the solution to that. He gives the prescription to that problem, if that's anyone here. It could be anyone here. You know, you know I'm in love with the world. I could care less about the Lord. And I'm saying, then God's your enemy. He wants to be reconciled to you, but it says he's angry with the wicked every day. Because James didn't just stop there, did he? He told them, he says, here's what you need to do. Submit yourselves to God. And we're talking about warfare. He says, once you've done that, then you can resist the devil and he will flee. We've got to be submitted to God, though. All of us. That's what Christianity is all about, is it not? I mean, that's what this church should be all about. We're a group of people not wedded to the world, but submitted to the Lord, wanting to do his will. And he says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil. He will flee. Draw an eye to God, he says, and he will draw an eye to you. And he tells them, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, get back to your first love, and you can be reconciled to God. You draw nigh to him, he's not going to turn his back on you if you come in repentance. He says, he will then draw nigh to you. So listen, but for those of us that are living a committed life to God, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, do you strive to get that peace? Is it something you have to strive for? Is it something that you have to wait for to get to a certain place to where I've got peace with God, I'm reconciled to him? That's not what it says in our verse here in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, he says we have peace with God. We have it now. He's no longer our enemy. We've been reconciled to him. <laughs> so now we have that peace. That's the fruit of the gospel. And it's critical that we understand that and know that and believe that to resist the enemy. We're talking about spiritual warfare because he's going to do all he can to try to convince you that God is still angry with you. That's the way he does. And he's not satisfied you. And sometimes you can feel like God is a parent that is just constantly belittling his kid because he's not measuring up. And he's still angry with you. And he's saying, no, we need to understand we've been justified by faith. And through that, we have peace with God. So, you know, everyone in here knows in your heart if you have determined that I'm going to walk with the Lord and please him. And that doesn't mean then when you do that, you're perfect. You got stuff that needs to get worked out of you. You got times you're going to fall. All right. 
but your heart, your goal. This is, look, I'm not looking to get away from the Lord. I'm looking to walk with him and to grow and to hear his word and to mature. I'm saying when you have that attitude, you're justified. Don't let the devil move in and take your peace and tell you that God's not at peace with you. He is. So you miss it. We talked about that last week. You go to him, confess your sins, get cleansed by that blood, have your conscience clear. It's the person that won't do that, that wants to stay in their sin. They are the ones. They're, they fall into that James 4. They lose that peace with God. But the devil's going to try to rob us from that. And when he does, he's got your feet out from under you. You're going to start slipping and falling. And you're going to be a victim to get your head chopped off. He'll take your salvation away, that helmet with your head on it, right? He'll take that off if you let him. So listen, we just need, if we know our heart's right, we're determined that we're going to cleave to the Lord. That's what Barnabas told the Christians. He said, just determine to cleave to the Lord. Stick to him. Be faithful to him. If you do that, then hey, listen, just trust that Jesus' blood and his righteousness, your conscience has been cleaned. We have to walk and have our feet shod with that and trust in that, right? Martin Luther said this. He might have been anti-Semitic, but I really like Martin Luther. He had a lot of good things to say, and I believe he made it to heaven. But listen, he said this. He said, grace forgives sins. And peace stills the conscience. I thought that was a good thing. Because listen, what happens? We need that peace, don't we? We need that peace that passes understanding. Because that's the peace that will enable us to weather the storm. That will enable us to weather the attacks that are coming our way. Because how can we fight? How can we be successful against the devil if we're unnerved in our trials because we're not sure we have peace with God. Then we're fighting a battle on two fronts, aren't we? We got to be settled that, hey, this front here, God's on my side. I'm at peace with him, and that will enable us to face that devil and turn and fight him. We got to have that peace inside. So Philippians 4 says, what, 6 and 7, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And he says, when you do that, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what's troubling you in here today? What's taking your peace away from you? Is it a job? Is it a family situation? Is it your health? Is it relationships with others? What, what is it? So he says, Paul writes, he says, don't be anxious. Don't be upset about nothing. Because he gives us the way to deal with it. What does he say we're to do? He says, you're anxious. He says, don't tell yourself, I'm not anxious. He doesn't just leave it at that, does he? Be anxious for nothing. You're like, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. And you're just wor up worrying all night. You know, telling yourself you're not going to worry. It's like, man, I got no peace and I'm worried to death. I hope I can wake up in the morning. Or if I hope I can get to sleep, I don't know what I hope. Right? So it's not that, no? What does he say the way to deal with it is? Take it to the Lord, doesn't he? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And not just a one-time short pray this and move on your way and keep worrying about it type prayer. He says by prayer and supplication. And that word supplication means it implies a seeking the Lord. It's a pressing in. It gives the idea you're pressing an urgent request. You've got something that's bothering you, and it's like it isn't, it's staring you right in the face. It's an urgent request, and you're pressing in on it because you have a great need. It's the Syrophoenician woman. That's supplication. Lord, I'm not leaving you. 
I'm not just going to say something and they're telling me to get lost. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm in your face. I need help. I don't have an assurance about this situation. And it's that kind of pressing in that happens. And sometimes you have to labor to enter into rest. And I would say sometimes you have to labor to enter into the peace of God because of the urgency of the situation, right? But once you do, what does he say will happen? The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Because it's come in there. Everything's okay. You know, when that happens, that peace that passes understanding, your circumstances may not have changed one iota. They may even get worse. But it's this knowing inside, the peace of God. My father has taken care of this situation. All is well. It may not look well, but you're no longer ruffled. And he's guarding your heart and mind from what? The attacks of the enemy we're talking about. Because he's after you. Putting in these thoughts of doubt and fear, anxiety, anger, resentment, unforgiveness. He's trying to disturb your peace. You've got to press in and get that. Peace that passes understanding and when maintain it, it will guard your heart and your mind Amen. from the attacks of the enemy. Amen. And that is what the preparation, readiness, and understanding the gospel of peace will do for us. So the second thing I want to talk about is, so there's where preparation in the gospel of peace, it helps us. It helps us in our Christian walk. It helps us in our day-to-day -day walk with the Lord and how to deal with things, right? But also, the preparation in the gospel of peace will keep us from deception. So if you would turn, you're in Romans, if you would turn to Galatians chapter 1. So we're saying preparation in the gospel means understanding the gospel of peace. So in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes this, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ unto what? Another gospel, which he says is not another because there's only one. He says, but there be some that trouble you and would do what? They would twist, pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, he says, let him be accursed. As we said before, and so I'll say it again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So what's going on here? This whole epistle letter is dealt with the fact that they did not properly understand the gospel. And as a result of that, these Judaizers are moving in there and they're perverting the gospel. And Paul has to warn them, hey, I've preached the truth to you, the gospel. You need to understand that. Because of not understanding that and someone comes in there and preaches another gospel, guess what they're stealing from you and your children and your friends, your salvation. He says, that's why the language is very strong. He says, whether it's even me coming with another one or an angel or any other person, let them be accursed. That is strong language because that's how serious it is. And so that's how serious it is for us to understand the gospel justified by faith alone, what we taught last week. That's what will give you peace with God. You change it in any way and you will be brought into bondage and you'll lose that peace. That's what this whole letter, Galatians, is about. So how could it not be critical for us to understand it? A warning that we need to know what the gospel is. Because look over in Galatians 2.16. Paul says this. Knowing 
that a man, he said, this is what we all should know, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so he's saying if you add anything to the gospel of just simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a requirement for salvation, he's saying it's messed up. You've perverted it. That, that is wrong. You can't be justified by works. And you say, yeah, I know all that. Because he's saying it'll be a yoke of bondage. Look in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So he's telling them, you've believed in Jesus, but if you think you need to add circumcision to that for your salvation, he says, then what happened to you profits you not at all. In verse 3, he says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised. If that's what it is, he says, then you're a debtor to do the whole law. And nobody can do that perfectly. So he says, Christ in that case, verse 4, is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you've fallen from something. Fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So you think, well, man, do I have to worry about that? Yeah, because that error of bringing works in as your justification is a common mistake in people's thinking. And it's a common theme in a lot of different groups. So I've talked about this before. In prison, they bring in the oneness Pentecostals come in, and, I mean, they're packing the place out. I know I've said all that before. And they teach three things, and they really push these three things. So the three things they push is Jesus is not the eternal Son of God. He is not the divine, eternal Son of God. They'll say Jesus is divine, but when you press it and say, do you believe he's the Son of God, eternal Son of God, they'll say no because they don't believe that. But they also teach, even if they had that right, they also teach you're not saved until you're baptized. And there's other churches around that teach the same thing. And they'll also say until you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Those two things are what Paul is talking about here. So water baptism does not give you justification before God. That is adding works. That's like adding circumcision. Speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make you justified before God. That's for justified people, as water baptism is too. You baptize Christians. So baptism doesn't make you a Christian, and so that's another gospel. And I'll tell you to say it's not the gospel of peace. I'm saying it caused an uproar in, our, in that prison where I'm at. And people will come up to me and they're like, man, because I, I, oh, there's guys there, they'll go to every meeting. And these guys are coming like they're, everyone's all excited about them. And this guy's come up, he's like, man, I'm confused. Bunch of people, I'm confused, or I feel condemned, or whatever. It was not the gospel of peace. And a lot of people had to sort all that stuff out for themselves, but I'm saying, what about, though, you meet people along life's way? You might, one this Pentecostal, maybe I've never met one of those, but what if you meet a Jehovah's Witness? Would you know how to share the gospel with them, or what is wrong with their gospel? Not that you, you don't have to understand everything about their teaching is crazy. Or the Mormons. Or a Muslim. Could you share the gospel with him? With a Muslim. Would you know how to find common ground with a Muslim? Because you could start there.
But all of these religions are works-based religions. They're adding something to or working for salvation. What if you come across the Catholic? Louisville is filled with a lot of Catholics. Would you know how to properly share the gospel with them? Explain to them, this is why you don't have an assurance of your salvation. So is that not important? People are kind of looking at me. I think it's important. That's part of what we're doing. So we need to be able to discern false gospels. And the only way you're going to do that is to know what the true gospel is, right? Or you could be messed up. There's a lot of ways that people can be adding works and things you're doing that are giving you justification before the Lord. But the last thing I want to talk about here with this preparation of the gospel of peace is what I started with. That preparation means we're going to be ready. We should be ready to share the gospel. So in Ephesians, when he says that, having your feet shod with the preparation, that's not a suggestion to be prepared to share the gospel. It is a command for all of us to do that when we put on God's armor. So that means what? We're going to have to take time to study and understand the gospel so we can be prepared to share it with others. Because I think the language, if you'll turn back to Ephesians 6, 15, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that is pointing back to Isaiah 52, 7. And speaking of having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you know what Isaiah 52, 7 is? That is a song we sing frequently here. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, thy God reigns. And actually, turn back there. Let's just look at that. Isaiah 52, 7. Just read it again. 52.7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, thy God reigns. And what this is, is it's a picture of a messenger. And he's approaching Jerusalem. And you know, mountains surround Jerusalem. And he stops on those mountains. And he has a message. It's a message of good tidings. And the first thing it's saying that he calls out to the city is... Peace. That's the beginning of the good tidings. That is the central thing. And what is he saying? Peace that there's not going to be war? No, he's saying, you all now, this city has peace with God. And that's where Paul is picking that up here and in Romans chapter 10. He quotes the same verse in sharing the gospel. And so the first thing they say, the grand message from the messenger is peace. God's no longer angry or hostile to his people. And that's what it is. And that brings a second message. Happiness. When you have peace with God, you're going to get good or happiness from him. Because God is at peace with you. Good will come. Right? The third thing he announces is salvation. So he is standing on the mountain speaking that to this city. And that's what we can speak to sinners. So salvation, it sums it all up. Everything that comes on you from having the wrath of God, you're delivered from. You have salvation now and peace. And how is that all possible? That's why we sing, because now thy God reigns. And that's the equivalent of Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm the king. I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's present. I'm here as the king. And so what happens when you go on to verse 8? The watchman, this messenger is on these mountains around Jerusalem announcing the gospel of peace. 
to these people the good news. And there's watchmen. They're the watchmen of the city, and they're listening to what's being said, and they hear this. The people in the city aren't hearing it. The watchmen are hearing it. And that's why he goes on, the watchmen shall lift up their voice, and with the voice together they shall sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. So the watchmen are lifting up their voices towards the city, and they're announcing peace. And they get so excited, what do they do? They're singing about it. Amen. Praise God. We are reconciled with God, and that's what should bring us singing in here, right? Every time we come in here, we are just, praise God, I've been reconciled, filled with His Spirit. I have good from the Lord. I have got something to sing about. Our God reigns. I'll get excited by myself. Praise the Lord. And that's what it's all about. But you're going to come and you're going to be that messenger and you're going to have a message of peace. Guess what? You better be prepared. You better be prepared with your message to have a message of peace, right? Preparation in the gospel of peace. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So I'd like to show, if you would turn over to Colossians 3, why I think that that's what Paul is saying, part of what he's saying here in Ephesians 6. So Colossians 3, it's a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 6. And what I mean by that is, so in Ephesians 6, just before we get into the whole section we've been looking at with the armor of God, Paul deals with husband and wife relationships, children and parent relationships, master and slave relationships. And then we have this whole section on spiritual warfare that talks about prayer, sharing the gospel, and other things, okay? Well, we have the same parallelism going on in Colossians 3. If you'll look in verses 18 to 19, once again, it's wives and husbands. Verses 20 to 21, it's children and parents. In verses 22, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, we have masters and servants, just like in Ephesians. The difference is, here Paul doesn't get into the whole armor of God with Colossians. Instead, he talks about prayer, but he also talks about being ready to share the gospel, to share and witness. And so we have that, if you look in chapter 4 of Colossians, beginning in verse 2, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he says this, walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Why? For here's the purpose, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So apparently there's people in Colossae that were asking these Christians about their salvation, about their faith, maybe about their joy. I don't know. They're getting in conversations with these people. Maybe it's something they say. Their conversation is seasoned with salt. And they get in a conversation and someone's asking them about that. He's saying you need to be prepared to answer every man and let your words be gracious. In other words, don't be coming down somebody's throat. Let him be gracious, seasoned with salt, having wisdom. And when you do that, you're going to win some people to the Lord, he's saying, because you're ready. You're ready to talk to them. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. And that's what Paul's saying here in Colossians 4.2. He says, you need to redeem the time. And that redeeming the time means make the most of your opportunities. 
towards them that are without. That means people that aren't part of the church. When you're amongst them, he says, you need to make the most of those opportunities and be ready to talk to them about the gospel, about Christianity, about what it means to know the Lord. So winning souls, he that wins souls is wise. Winning souls means to capture souls. That's what that winning, that word means, laying hold of somebody with wisdom, influential ideas. Comes from the word of God, the gospel. He that is wise and understanding will be able to do that. But you need to pray for that wisdom, and I need to pray for that wisdom. And we have a saying, you don't have to turn to this, but in 1 Peter 3.15, and we've heard this verse a lot, Peter says this, be ready. So that word ready is where we get our word preparation of the gospel. And Peter says, be ready, be prepared always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So my whole point is, that's an obligation we all have. That's the message today. We have an obligation to ourselves to be prepared to understand the gospel of peace for ourselves, to give ourselves firm footing, to understand we have peace with God, what that gospel is. We also need to know so that we can discern false gospels. And we also need to be ready to share the gospel by understanding it with others. That's what Paul's saying. That is part of our footwear part of our warfare with the enemy because these people are bound by the devil. And if we're not prepared to give good answers, how are we going to set them free? If we don't know the truth, that we can set them free by the truth. And I'm saying that's what we need to do. So someone would say, well, then how do I go about sharing the gospel? And I would say the first thing I would begin with, I've already basically said this, is I would be getting well acquainted with what is the heart of the gospel message. And so Brother Hamilton used to talk about this, but it's true. Understand the Roman road. Go through the first four or five chapters of Roman, read it, but then look at that chapter one. What is this chapter saying? What is chapter two saying? It's starting off that all men are sinners. All men are doomed. That's, that's where you have to begin. You know, and it moves right on through. It starts with that God that created us is wrathful. There's going to be a day of judgment with that God, that all men are sinners, and that there is no hope outside of that justification and substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith, simple faith in his blood. We're not going to do anything to earn that. We're not going to work our way. It's all of grace. Those are the things that you need to do. Understand that. His blood brings forgiveness, freely justified, and that gives us peace with God. In other words, know the basics of your Bible. And I'm saying, I'm not naive, because I know most people will hear this, and they've already determined in their hearts, I'm not witnessing to anybody. I never have. I'm not going to be one of those to do that. They won't take the time to do it. I'm saying that's just being honest about things, because the majority of people in a church do not share their faith at all. But I'm saying I think we do need to. So I would also recommend get a book that explains the gospel. And I brought one right here. Actually, I brought two. So the title of the book, What is the Gospel? I would tell you what the gospel is, I would hope. So these two are available for anybody that wants to come up and get them. Use your faith. Perch people up here, you're, it's free for you to have. Praise the Lord. And also, I've got two of these called The Lordship of Christ. And this man does a great job of showing how Jesus is Lord needs to be presented and what repentance is has a great chapter in here on repentance. Two of these. Anybody that wants them, glad to give them away, all right? 
So first of all, we need to understand what is the gospel. You don't need my books. Like I said, I'd recommend you get into Romans. Think it through. Think through. Here I am sitting with this person. Think of a conversation you've had in the past. How did I not know what to do? So think about here. This guy asked me this. Well, based on Romans, what I'm seeing there, the, the scriptures, this is how I can e explain the gospel to them. Memorize some verses. It's going to take wisdom to do it. So you can't have this how-to, how-to witness. Because a lot of it, every situation's different. Everybody's personality is different. You know, the how-to books are okay to just get a general idea on, okay, here's a way I can proceed, okay? But that brings me, the second point is how to be prepared in the gospel of peace. We need to be praying to the Lord to give us wisdom in how to do that, as I just said, right? And so one thing I would recommend, we've talked about this before, is what did Paul do in the book of Acts? He shared his testimony repeatedly. And so you should have a testimony, right? If you can't say, hey, there was a point in my life I knew, I realized I was a wicked sinner, God dealt with me, opened my eyes, I repented. So I'm saying your testimony should be the gospel. So think of a way to share that because this is the truth. Somebody you're afraid of, if you just can just say, hey, can I tell you what the Lord did with me? Nobody's going to say, I don't want to hear it. And nobody gets offended. You're worried about offending somebody. People do not get offended when you're sharing your testimony. Like I said, I've done that before, and they'll be like, yeah, you needed to be saved. This might be the reaction. But through your testimony, you can bring the gospel through. Everybody can do that. Everybody can tell. They don't have to memorize anything for that, I would hope. right? So the other thing is you can get books on how to share your faith that will help you that way. I've read a lot of them, and they have helped me. One, some people in here have read, is called Tactics. And the guy's last name is K-O-U-K-L. Kukul, I guess is how you would say it. It's a really good book to help you learn how to inoffensively share the gospel. I mean, it's going to be offensive at some point. But just ways you can share it where you're just not turning somebody off. You know, you don't just walk up to somebody, do you know Jesus? Have you repented? I mean, that's, that doesn't work. Right? So we need to have wisdom in how to do that. Or another good book would be Tell Someone. It's called You Can Share the Good News by Greg Laurie. Or, this is my last free book. I've got one right here. It's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. You know why? You don't need to witness to anybody in heaven about the gospel. They're already there. If they didn't make it at that point, it's too late. I kind of like that title. Mark Cahill. It's another free book. So that's it on the free books. But So he just gives a lot of things, some principles you can use, some ways he does things. And then what you do is you, you read a book like that or you pray about it or you just jump in there in the waters and... Use your personality and what you're comfortable with, and you'll start finding out, man, I never thought I could do this, but I can. I'm telling you. Just what I would say. And the other thing I would say, we should ask the Lord to open doors for us, right? When we meet people through conversation, have him open the door rather than us kick it open. Because when he opens the door, things will work for you, right? So you're asking him to open doors. You're looking for opportunities to share. Find what works for you and all that. And it'll be a work in progress. And here's the thing, though. It's never easy, I don't think. You never have to not overcome that thing about what that person's going to think, right? Whenever you make that deliberate attempt to talk about spiritual things, and that's where the warfare comes in, right? Because the devil, I'm telling you, he'll give you a million excuses why you, at this time, don't need to share the gospel. You're going to look like a fool. Who does that? You're not going to be cool. This person won't like you. I mean, on and on and on it goes. And so we need to remind ourselves what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. 
Because Timothy must have been a little bit timid at times. He says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He said, you don't need to be ashamed of that, Timothy. God hadn't given you a spirit of fear that you're worried about what people think. He says, or don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. He says, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So somebody gives you grief because you've shared with them, and I'm saying it doesn't happen very often at all. You're just a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And Jesus said we're to dance and rejoice when that happens because we're blessed when people persecute us. Now, not if you're in their face in a wrong way. That's not being persecuted for righteousness. That's being persecuted because you're a jerk. <laughs> we don't want to be jerks about it, right? That's back to where you've got to have grace when you talk, that winsome spirit. Okay? I found this out. You can say things to people that seem whatever, that you're just what. And if you just say, look, I'm nervous about even doing it. I did that one. I said, I'm just telling you, I'm nervous about doing it. I just want to share the gospel with you. That person's like, that's eh, fine. Because you know what? I'll tell you what. If you're just out there to do this so you can say I witness to people or whatever, they pick up on that. But if you're out there because you have a true concern for souls, people can pick up on that too. And they're not offended generally. And you can talk to them. Just be real about it. Just say, hey, can I just talk to you for a minute? And I've done that several times. It's like you can almost say whatever you want to at that point. Because they know you've got their concern for them. And I'm telling you, sharing the gospel is one of the best experiences you'll ever have in this life. It kind of goes without saying. So, you know, you go in that prison and you see some guy that he's never heard truth before, been nothing but belittled all his life, been nothing but had parents in jail, brothers in jail, nobody showing concern. And you present the gospel to them in a way that they, like I said, they know you're not their enemy. You're just there to help them out. And man, to see somebody, the light come on, the spirit of God work on them, because it's not like you're so smart or whatever all else, right? There's nothing like that. And I used to get letters from guys, and I'd keep them. And they'd just write, this one guy was a hardcore drug dealer. And just the change God has brought in my life. It had nothing to do with me. And I'm just saying, but it's thrilling. It's exciting. And you'll never know that, Right? There's just ways you can share the gospel with people, and they'll be like, man, I'm glad you said that to me. I've been backslidden. Thank you very much. It could be just something like that. <laughs> and if you don't open your mouth, you know, it's not going to happen. So that preparation of the gospel is going to keep us from slipping when the devil attacks us and seeks to steal our peace and the assurance of our salvation. That's what we talked about. And so that peace comes from knowing our salvation is, like I said, based on Jesus' blood and righteousness. And God has given us a heart that wants to please him. We can have peace with God if that's where we're at. And it also, as we're saying lastly here, it will enable us, knowing that gospel, to minister to others so that they can be delivered from the powers of darkness and truly set free. We can announce the gospel of peace that our God reigns. So whether it's that heroin addict, that troubled teen, the searching skeptic, the gospel is the same, right? Good news. Our God reigns. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. He's died in your place. It says the wicked have no peace. They're like the troubled sea, it says, constantly churning up. Have no peace. But the gospel you could share with them, you can have peace. The Lord Jesus Christ will give it to you.
That's our message. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. Announcing peace. Proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Third verse goes out from the tomb. He came with grace and majesty. He is alive. He is alive. God loves us so. See here his hands, his feet, his side. Yes, we know. He is alive. And that's the gospel. Amen? Amen. Jesus still saves. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'll just put it on every person in this room's heart to, to know you as the God of peace and to understand the gospel of peace so that we will be able to share it with others in a, in a way that will bring them to a true saving knowledge of you, that we will be able to show them that through repentance, turning from their sins and faith, that they can have peace with you and they can be reconciled and that you love them and that you will do them good and that you reign in their lives and on this earth and I just ask you that you'll do that for all of us and help us to have a heart for unsaved people and to look for ways to get in conversations with them, whether it's our neighbor, our relatives, our children, that will just want to know the gospel for their sake. And I just thank you that you'll do that for all of us so that the devil can be defeated. Because you came to destroy his works, and you do that through the gospel of peace. And we just, I just thank you for all that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.